before we move into the message port part of the service, I just thought, you know, it was so precious when uh, Shanika was up here with Ryan and they were kneeling at the altar. And it was great when Vanessa stepped forward to, to, to pray with her. You know, little Ryan, I don't even know how old, how old is Ryan. One, she's one year old, right? So as soon as Vanessa stepped up and put her hand on Shanika's shoulder, you know, Ryan's just there with her thumb in her mouth. She just reaches up and puts her hand on Vanessa's shoulder. She's like, yeah, this is what we do, right? We just, we pray for each other. She's one, right? So Vanessa's praying for Shanika. Ryan's praying for Vanessa. It was, it was so good. But I just, I didn't want to move from this moment because sometimes you're out there and, and you feel what someone's talking about up here and, 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 and you miss that moment for someone to step into a moment of prayer with you. And, and I'm just telling you, there's something about having another follower of Christ who has the faith to believe that God can make a difference in your situation, put their hand on your shoulder in a moment of prayer. I'm telling you, it matters. It makes a difference. There's something that happens in that moment of communing together before God. So I'm, I'm just saying, right? We're not gonna linger here very long, but if you're here and you're just saying, you know, it might not be exactly like Shanika's journey, but it's similar in the sense that you're just saying, I'm in a tough place. I'm in a hard place. I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand right where you are. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. We're just gonna pray. Come on, somebody's hand over there. Somebody, keep your hand up. If there's somebody with their hand, there's somebody in the middle, can we just, people that are around them, just gather around them, rest a hand on their shoulder. I'm just gonna lead us in a moment of prayer. Keep your hand up so people know where to go. Let's make sure that everybody who has a hand up has some people that are gathered around them. Father, we lift up every person in this moment. Holy Spirit, we know that you're at work in their heart. And we just pray that in this moment of confession, just as they raise their hand, that there's just gonna be a releasing. There's gonna be a surrendering. There's gonna be a yielding of who they are to what you're doing inside of them. We know that you were doing something deep in them even before they realized you were doing it. And even now, as we stand in this sacred moment before your throne, in moments like this where it feels like there's not even any distance that separates heaven and earth, that your presence is here and that you are real and that you are loving and that you are healing and that you are restorative and you're transformative. Let that work that you are doing in them, God, we say, let it be done to completion and that they would continue to yield away for you. I think about John the Baptist and how when you were here, John, you, you, you said that every valley would be exalted and every mountain brought low, that the crooked way would be made straight and the rough places plain to make way for the Lord. I pray that same thing over every person who had their hand up, that a way would be made for the fullness of your will to be accomplished in their life in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody sit together. Amen. Come on, it's good. So good. So good. I do have a problem with Shanika's shirt, though, because I'm pretty sure that's the year she was born, and I was in high school. I'm like, come on. Wow. Yeah, so good, so good. 
This is a big weekend here at City Life. It's even a bigger weekend for North Riverside Baptist Church. And if, if, if you're visiting with us and, and maybe are uh, unaware of what's happening here at this property, uh, it is in the process of being gifted to us, uh, City Life. I know, it's incredible. You can clap. It's debt-free. It's five acres right here behind CNU. It's almost 40,000 square feet of uh, functional building space. It's just, it's an act of generosity of biblical proportion. And uh, tomorrow morning is is going to be their final service. Uh, they, They started in 1952 as the Warwick Baptist Mission. And so from 1952 until uh, tomorrow, the 28th of April of 2019, it's, it's the end of an era for them. And so I'm just sharing that with you. We are careful to not ask you to ever do anything on Sunday because this is part of Saturday church for us is to create margins in people's lives. And so we're careful to never put anything on your Sunday. Uh, but I think this, right, it, it warrants an exception. So our family's coming out. I know many other families are coming out. There's a catered lunch to follow that every Everyone's invited to. Uh, it's free. It's just a moment of celebration. So we just we want to fill this room up for them one more time, right? And let's let their memory of their final service be uh, what they've been doing here for decades. And so their service starts at 11. So if you're coming, get here a little early, like around quarter till. It usually wraps up around noon. It will probably go a little bit longer tomorrow since they've got some special things that are uh, are planned. And uh, but I just want to invite you to come out. And uh, we just want to stand with them in this moment of celebration and just an opportunity for us to say thank you to them. So today is also somebody else's birthday who's very special to me. I know, is the picture coming up? There it is. I know, isn't that? uh, That's right, that's still who she is to me. In, in my mind, she's turning 15, but there she is. This was at a, uh, a staff uh, um, uh, party, uh, so the church we came from, where I had been a part of that church for 17 years. All my formative years as a follower of Christ were at that church, Mechanicsville Christian Center. This uh, was the children's pastor, Pete Holman. I told that story last week about that missions trip that I went on that really changed my life. Pete was also the missions pastor and the children's pastor, and he led that trip. I was on that trip with him. And, uh, and this was on the, at the, in Tappahannock on the Rappahannock River. And Pete was just sitting over there, uh, just kind of enjoying the moment. And Claire, being true to who she was, right, just wandered over just to check on him, you know, just to see if he was okay. And so he was really the first pastor that all of our kids knew. And he just instilled something uh, in them. And uh, so I'm going to shoot this picture over to him uh, on Facebook later tonight just to say thank you. But I love this picture. So if you see Claire, uh, if you see Shanika, uh, give, them, give, them, give them a lot of love, give them some hugs and uh, for their birthday being today. So, hey, we are excited also, right? It's a big weekend in, in, in for many reasons, but one is uh, uh, there's a slide coming up that, uh, you know, we've been talking about how uh, faith promise giving and missions giving just exploded on our church this year. It's un- it always goes up a little bit every year, but this year it just exploded with generosity. And so we were able to clean off our entire waiting list of uh, missionaries, missions organizations. Come on. 
So we're starting a new one, but these are all the groups that we're supporting. Uh, this, you know, this doesn't include food for the hungry. It doesn't include port. It doesn't include all the things that we're doing by way of special projects that represents uh, thousands of dollars as well. Uh, and in food for the hungry's case, that's tens of thousands of dollars every year. But these are the groups that we're supporting on a monthly basis, and uh, groups and individuals. And then I'm especially excited if you see right here, uh, middle left link, and uh, which is leading innovatively Niger to the King which is a part of Effective Ministries uh, Incorporated. The founder of that's with us tonight, Michael Thaler. Come on, Michael. Raise your hand. Yep. So good. His son just finishing up, running his freshman year at CNU. So I was like, Michael, how awesome is it that you happen to be here uh, as your son finishing up his freshman year? We had not planned that, had not orchestrated that, and, uh, but they've been on our waiting list for some time. Uh, I had the privilege of going there for a pastor's training conference in 2009, I think it was. And, uh, and so I, I uh, envision that, uh, that many of you in this room uh, are going to be on some of those trips in the foreseeable future. They're sending teams over to Niger, multiple trips, probably 10 plus trips a year, every year uh, to Niger. And there's so many ways to get involved there. And so uh, we're just excited about that partnership. So if you've got questions about any of these organizations or who they are, uh, feel free to get in touch with us. And uh, we're rolling out a new website within the next month or so. And all of this will be on there as well and all that data. So thank you for your generosity. You keep giving 100% of the money that you designate for missions goes right back out. We don't keep any of it here, 100% of it. Uh, goes uh, back out uh, onto the field. And for us as a church, uh, that's probably anywhere from about forty dollars to $50,000 a year. And so we're so excited uh, at uh, uh, starting a new waiting list. Come on, how great is that? So we're in this series, Break the Yoke. Uh, we uh, you know, took a little bit, uh, some time off for Easter last weekend, and we're jumping back into it. This series is going to take us, I think, all the way through May. Uh, and then we'll start a new series in June. I'm not sure what the direction we're going to be going in, uh, but when God tells me, I'll tell you. And, uh, but I know it's going to be good. So uh, this, this series that we've been in for several weeks, now this is part five, uh, is, is, is birthed out of this verse in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 10, 27. And, and, and there's the King James, and then there is the, the, the New American Standard. The King James verse, let me do a little recap since we haven't been in the series for a couple of weeks. But the, the verse in King James talks about, uh, it, it gave us this phrase, the anointing breaks the yoke, because at the end of the verse where it talks about, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. But it's really, that, that's not a good translation. The New American Standard gets it better. But, but I think one of the reasons why they were doing the King James Bible, the reason why they didn't use the literal translation because it was confusing. And, and as you read it, it says, and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. But that's really the, the spiritual concept that I believe that the Holy Spirit was moving through Isaiah to prophesy. And, and the idea is that, that you can grow in your spiritual life to such a degree that it begins to break off the things that have formerly bound you up. Now, are there times where God comes in and supernaturally does a work of freedom like what we just experienced tonight? Yes, he does. We hear about that in Luke 4.18. We read about it in Acts 10.38, which I think is one of the reasons why in King James they talked about the anointing breaks the yoke because it's so in step with so many other parts of the Bible that talk about this supernatural deliverance. But God didn't want this verse in Isaiah, I believe, to say the anointing breaks the yoke because God wanted us to understand that there's a couple of different ways that we experience freedom in this life. And one of them comes through us growing. It comes through us 
doing the things that build the character of Christ inside of us. This thought I shared with you when we launched this series was how much time have we spent in our lives regarding certain struggles, pleading with God to deliver us, when his response to us all along has been, grow out of it. There is a growing that happens as a result of the Holy Spirit, yes, but it is produced because we position and posture ourselves, enabling him to work in us through what we call the 12 pathways. Psalm 27, 13 is a big verse for us, right? I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Deuteronomy 29, 29, which we've introduced through this series, is going to be another hallmark verse for us. It says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one, right? There's always going to be mysteries. We're not going to figure everything out this side of heaven. And then it goes on to say, but we're not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. So in this series, we're saying that we believe there will never be the fullness of Psalm 27, 13 realized in our lives until we embrace Deuteronomy 20, 20, 29, 29 and become, and become Isaiah 10, 27 fat. So when we were thinking about which pathways we were going to focus in on, which we're calling the spiritual fatty foods of our spiritual diet, I wanted to focus in specifically on stewardship and generosity. And the reason for that is because these two are often the most justifiably not done parts of Christianity. Because as Christians, we have a tendency to prioritize these 12 pathways. And prioritization leads to justification. Meaning that if we look at these 12 pathways and we elevate some more than others, it gives us permission psychologically to look at the ones that we think are less important, that we feel as though there are less consequences if I don't do them. And stewardship and generosity, for many Christians, we explain away the seriousness of the absence of these pathways in our lives. When we talked about this series in our launch, we shared that 16 of the 38 parables of Christ, they deal with money. One out of every 12 verses in the New Testament addresses one out of every 12. One out of every 12 addresses money. According to Christianity, Christianity Today, the Bible has, listen to this, 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, over 2,000 on money and possessions. And I think the reason for that is because God knew then, as he knows today, that stewardship and generosity, they are, if they are absent, there is a yoke and a bondage that materialism, it gains a foothold in our lives, and we need to be set free from that, and you can grow out of it. If this idea of pathways is new for you, if you're visiting tonight, there's a book that we want to give you that's free. Anybody in a blue shirt, it's just a little green booklet. It's called Praxis, and they can give that to you, and you can read about our discipleship model. So let me, let me share this verse. This is a new verse for us in this series. It's out of Joshua 16.10. Joshua 16.10. And it's speaking of the Israelites, and it says, They did not drive the Canaanites out of Gezer. However, so the people of Gezer live as slaves among the people of Ephraim, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, up to this day. Now, this is an interesting verse because it says that these, this particular tribe that the Israelites chose not to drive out, and they did this with other tribes too, it says to this day that those, that tribe is still a slave to them. But if you continue to study the history of Israel, you will begin to find that that changes. 
And the tribes that they chose to not drive out so that they could be their slaves and work for them, the Israelites ultimately became their slaves and were ruled by them instead. Now this is an important verse for us because it teaches us a principle. Is that when you and I choose to hold on to something that God is saying let go of because we think that we're going to be better off keeping it, one day instead of you owning it, it will own you. This is the principle. All throughout the study of Israel, it's not just about history for historical context. It's filled with biblical principles. That all of those peoples that the Israelites said, let's keep them because they can serve us, eventually the Israelites became the people that were serving them. And the same thing is true with our material resources. The things that God says to you and to me, I've given that to you so that you can give it to someone else. It's It doesn't take very long to talk ourselves into keeping it, doesn't it? Because there's good things that we want to do with it. And we come up with noble reasons. Why? Just like the Israelites had good reason for why they didn't want to do all the things that God had asked them to do when they came into the promised land. But I'm telling you, you will see it time and time again from Genesis to Revelation. And whenever there is occurrence, no matter what the situation is, if you choose to keep what God says to let go, instead of you owning it, it will ultimately own you. In Matthew 15, 32, we find these words. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat, and I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. Now, this is not the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000, right? He does this similar miracle on two different occasions, and the count is just for the men alone. It doesn't account the women of children, so it was probably three, four times that, right? And so he's saying, take what you've got and feed all of these people. Now, we know from that story, the disciples said, there's, there's no way. What little bit we have is, is going to feed these people. And even in these stories, these aren't parables, these are actual accounts, we find something important about life with material resources. We struggle when we define something as being fixed or finite. Our finances, our resources, our abilities. With God, He is able to make something that seems finite become abundantly more by adding nothing else except Himself. To God, nothing is ever fixed. To God, nothing is ever finite. It's only ever waiting. Until this revelation gets hold of us, we will never break out fully into the pathways of generosity and stewardship. When you and I look at the material resources that we have, and we think about all the ways that the Bible says to you and to me, this is what I want you to do with those material resources, it will require sacrifice for us. It will require us to have less and to spend less so that we can give to the level that the Bible expects of us. For many of you, you, you don't question that your moral life needs to come under the instruction of Scripture. But there's another question, is your material life coming under the instruction of Scripture to the degree that your moral life is? For so many of you, you have boundaries that you would never cross. You consider them moral boundaries because of what the Bible says we should do and what we should not do. Well, it gives the same kind of seriousness to our material life 
And all of us at some point have to wrestle with whether or not we're going to come into obedience with what Scripture asks of us. So we look at our material resources, and we see them as fixed, and we see them as finite. But your material resources are no more fixed and no more finite than the few pieces of fish and the few pieces of bread that those disciples had some 2,000 years ago. It is a journey of faith when it comes to our material resources, when we walk in obedience with God. At some point, you have to say to yourself, brain, I know you're not going to figure this thing out, right? Part of being a Christian, it's, it's, it's a little bit schizophrenic. you got to talk to yourself. you got to have a conversation with yourself. You're, you you, you, you got to coach your will up. Because we're not looking at these finances as being fixed. They're not fixed, right? And something inside of you is like, they are fixed. They are finite. And you got to say, no, they're not fixed. No, they're not finite. They're just waiting. They're waiting on God. And when he shows up, and he does, because he keeps his promises, he makes things grow, and he makes things multiply. You're never going to get there through math. You're only going to get there through faith. So I've got four heart questions that I want us to work through together tonight. Four heart questions. Because stewardship and generosity begins with the heart. And if we don't get through all of them, we're going to push them to next week. But the first one is this, am I submitted? We don't like that word, right? Something inside of us, we're like, we don't like that. It's the nature of our humanity. All right, we like a little participation here at City Life, so let's do this. What is something that causes your gag reflex to engage? That's something. I know. Hands are like, oh, I got some. Somebody else's gag reflex, right? You see someone else, you're like, oh, dear God, here it comes. Yep. Somebody else, gag reflex, kicking in. In the back, Susan. Yeah, worked in the hospital. You could have just stopped right there. I worked in a hospital. When they're doing the suction, oh, yeah. Some of you are gagging right now. I know, you're like, could we move on to something else? Dental x-rays. Dental x-rays, yeah, they bite wings. They put it in there, right? Now they put that contraption in your mouth to keep your mouth open? Yeah, they call it the gag device. Somebody else, somebody up here have their hand up? Jamal? What's that? Wooden fingernail files. I don't even think I know what that is. Like something that's made of wood that if you file your, the sound of someone filing their fingernail. It's like the fingernail on the, on the chalkboard. Yeah. Somebody else. Gag reflex. Yeah. This is real. His sister's diapers. I know. Right? It's real. It's real. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're eating a hot dog and you're eating it too fast and it's going down the wrong way, all the way in the back. Is that Amanda? Peas. As in like starch peas, green peas. All right. No peas for Amanda. No peas. Water chestnuts. Oh, come on. I love water chestnuts. You don't like water chestnuts. All right. Okay. All right. Chris has his hand up. That's so great. What's he going to say? The smell of chitlins cooking. Yeah, I know. I know. My grandfather, I grew up next to my grandparents. It was his favorite food, right? And my grandmother made him cook them in the shed on the edge of their property. I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Now, I know what you're thinking. Dear God, what does it have to do with this sermon? Oh, I'm going to answer you right here. Listen to these verses in Luke 16, 13 to 15. It says, 
No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and they scoffed at him. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. Listen to what he says. What the world honors is detestable in the sight of God. You know what that word detestable means in the Greek? It literally means to make someone gag. Now this is an important verse because you and I should ask this question. If God would have participated in that raising the hand question answer moment because we know he's here. Would the way we manage our finances been on his list for the things that engage his gag reflex? Because there are things in this life that God is saying are detestable to him. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the one that Jesus picks to identify here in Luke 16, it's the way the religious leaders of Jesus' day handled their money. You and I have to come to some moment where we reconcile in our own hearts. Is our life, our material life, under the submission of the Word of God? Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. We start by making the mistake of thinking that anything that we have belongs to us. It's not. It's all his and he's entrusted it to us and he's got a plan for how we're supposed to use it. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 13, it says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours. O Lord, this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. And listen to what it says. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise you, your glorious name. This is an important verse for us when we're talking about submitting our material life to the wisdom of God's Scripture, because submitting our material life to the wisdom of God's Scripture does not mean that every person ultimately becomes wealthy. It does not. God's not a slot machine. There's a lot of theology out there. It's, it's, it's bad teaching. This verse is in here to remind us that every person has what I like to call a material destiny. We have a material destiny. We think about destiny in so many other parts of our life, but the Bible says that you and I have a material destiny. That God has predetermined the, the, the wealth that you and I are going to experience. And for some it's going to be great, and for some it's going to be small. But the pathway to our material destiny is the same for every person. Is Are we going to be submitted to the biblical principles that are laid out for us in Scripture for how we manage the resources that belong to God that he's entrusted to us. So am I submitted? The second one is, am I cheerful? Somebody say cheerful. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
Right? I always follow this up in this teaching about finances because when you're truly submitted in your material life to the wisdom of, of Scripture, you do it in a cheerful manner. If you do it out of compulsion and out of obligation, you might be keeping the letter of the law, but you're not keeping the spirit of the law, and then I believe that in and of itself becomes an impediment in your material life on your way to your material destiny. This verse is going to be in the notes. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but Deuteronomy 26, 10 through 11, the PDF for our messages every week. We put them online for those of you who are note takers. This idea of being cheerful, it's important. And God doesn't always ask us to be cheerful in seasons of abundance. Sometimes he asks us to be cheerful in our lack. Now, this is, this is personal for us because we're not going to tell the whole story tonight. Many of you have heard it before, but when we moved here in October of th- 2007, we were in our townhome that we bought up off of Denby, Denby Boulevard. We put our whole life savings in to make this move here to Newport News to lead for this fledgling church, right? Meeting in the movie theater over off of Victory Boulevard, the City Life Church. It was about a year and a half old. And we invested our whole life into, into, in, financially into being able to come. And then within about a year and a half, we discovered that that townhome was built with toxic Chinese drywall that sent us on a five-year journey of living on the verge of bankruptcy. Many of you lived through that journey with us. And I remember it was just, a, it was just probably about a month before we realized that our townhome was built with tiny, uh, toxic Chinese drywall. We had this older, smaller bow rider boat. And, and I remember being in my office one day and God speaking to me and saying, Fred, sell your boat. And I remember thinking, there must be some other Fred that, that you know that I know because I'm not sure that's going to happen. But I, it was so distinct. Sell your boat. It was the worst time of the year to sell the boat. It was the end of the summer. I, we didn't want to sell it. it was a, it's an important part of our family life together. And so I remember when, when, when Vanessa and I talked later on that afternoon, I'd already listed it on Craigslist. So I, got to t- I listed the boat for sale. She's like, what do you mean you listed the boat for sale? It's like, I felt like God spoke to me. I'm supposed to supposed to sell this boat. So some family comes back from being on vacation. John and Sherry Boothley, you might know them. They've started to come to the church here. This crazy connection with their life. They had just been on vacation and rented the boat. They came back into town. They said, we know this is the worst time of year to buy a boat, but we rented a boat. Now we want to be boaters. And so he calls. That's how we met them. And they ended up buying our boat. And within a month, we found out our townhouse was built with toxic Chinese drywall. Because God was getting us ready, right? He was paring down our financial life to get us ready for five years of financial hell. This is how much God cares about us. And if we'll just walk in obedience with him, he always has our best interest at heart. And so when it came time to try to short sale that townhouse, it was worth basically nothing. And I remember talking to a real estate agent at the time, and they had talked with the bank, and, and they said, it's, it's, this is imp- you're, it's impossible, this will not short sale. Because that was back in the time, right, with the economy was collapsing because all of the, uh, uh, the mortgages were bundled together, right, as investments. And so our mortgage was bundled together with, right, mortgages all over the U.S. And so to pull one of them out, it was, right, and so I'm telling you, we called people over and over. I'm telling you, we just wore people out. That parable of the unjust judge in Scripture where it says that the, the judge did not ultimately answer the widow's cry because it was the right thing to do. It was just because the, the widow was annoying him, right? To so to, we, like, we were that person. 
And, and this church was praying with us. We were believing because we could not get out from under that financial situation because we had just bought it, right? We owed everything and it was worth nothing. So finally, something turned, right? There was a breakthrough and, 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 and the bank found a way to pull ours out and they allowed it to go onto the market. But even in who would buy it, then all of a sudden an investor jumped up and all of a sudden it was a turning point for that whole community and for that whole neighborhood. So, but that's not the, as, as much of a miracle as that was, it's not the miracle of the story. Because we had just entered into the Missions Giving Faith Promise campaign for our church back then. I can't even remember what year it was. We do it at the beginning of every year. And I remember holding that Faith Promise card in my hand. Right? We, had, we were just months into this thing, right? So I'm filling out that card, and Vanessa and I talked a little bit about it. And, and I remember God speaking to me and saying, is, is that all you have faith for? I, I put $1,000 on that card. It's like, no, I don't even have faith for $1,000, God. I'm just trying to do the right thing here because I'm the pastor of this church, you know? I kid you not, this is the conversation, right? I've never heard God's voice, but I felt it. He, he, this is what he asked me. Is that, is that what you have faith for? And so I said, right, in this sarcastic way, what do you have faith for? And then the lightning came, and then I died, and then they raised me from the dead. Yeah. And God said, how about you put $5,000 on that card? And I, right? I know, that's who laughed, right? That's what I did, right? I chuckled, right? Like, you have got to be kidding me. I was like, I don't even have 1000 Let's just put it on there. 5000 throw the card in. This is the same way you do your faith promise card, right? I know, right? That's not going to happen anyway, so who cares, right? Just throw it in there. Oh, it's so true, you know it. So, we go to close within a couple of months for our short sale of this, this Chinese drywall, this, this townhome. And we're at the closing, and they slide a check across the table to Vanessa and I. Like, what is that? Yeah, right? When you're short selling a house that's not worth anything, you don't get any money at closing. Who does that? Yeah, God. And we look down at that check, $4,000. $4,000. Because apparently, because we short-sold our home in the midst of this financial collapse, that a law had been passed that there was going to be money to give into homeowners who qualified, that, and you didn't even have to apply for it, right? It was just automatic. The, the banks processed it for you, that, that, that it was to help you get back on your feet. $4,000. Now, I know what you're thinking, the faith promise was for five. But this is why God has such a great sense of humor. Because it was like God said, yeah, you're still on the hook for the 1,000 that you had faith for. And I provided you with the four that I had faith for. So you're on your own for the rest of it, for the balance. We, I'm telling you, we, we could not wait. I didn't even want to deposit that check into our account. Right? It went in. It came out so fast. Right? We deposited that check in the very next Saturday. We put that $4,000 check in the offering, right? Because it wasn't our money. It was his money. Now, I'm not telling you to be irresponsible because we've never been irresponsible with our finances. It's never irresponsible when you're walking in obedience. It's irresponsible when you're trying to get God's attention. And we don't teach that here, and we don't believe it. But we do believe in obedience. And we do believe that obedience 
necessitates sacrifice. And we do believe that obedience requires faith. I've never been more excited to give away so much money in my life. And faith, promise, and missions has been a part of our life for our entire marriage together. And these are the kinds of stories that I believe that God wants to come out of all of our lives. But we're going to miss it if we don't let this book govern our material life in the same way it governs our moral life. Am I submitted and am I cheerful? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Don't store up treasures here on earth, God says, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Listen to verse 20. It's to store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Now let me share a thought with you. Because when we read this verse, if, if we're not careful, we'll end up with the wrong motivation. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 is not about motivation, it's about revelation. This is my revelation, not my motivation. If it is my motivation, then I'm only serving Christ for what I get out of it. But when it is my revelation, my focus is on the place and not the prize. See, Matthew 6 is not to tell you there's a prize waiting for you. It's to remind you and I that there is a place that's waiting for you and for me. The idea about having treasures in heaven, that's secondary. What's primary should be that there's a heaven that's waiting for me. And it's a reminder to us that this heaven that is waiting for us, that, that only comes through a vowed, vowed devotion to Christ and Christ alone. And that's promised to me. It's all about grace. There's nothing I can do to earn it. I either have it because I've devoted my life to Christ or I don't. But once I make that vow of devotion to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me, it begins a journey, a journey that the Bible calls discipleship. And if there's any one word that describes the culture of this church over anything else, that we're a discipleship culture. That's why our message is heaven now, heaven forever. It's about the heaven that's promised to me in the end, but it's also about the heaven that God wants me to experience until I get there. And I'm just telling you that that takes work and it takes effort and it takes sacrifice. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I pray for every person that's here tonight who's been wrestling and struggling in the material part of who they are. That maybe for them, God, that they're, the moral part of their life, that they brought that under the submission of, of the wisdom of your word a long time ago. And maybe they're here tonight and they've never even thought about the material part of their life being just as important as the moral part of their life. And I pray by the wisdom of your Holy Spirit that you're just going to begin to show them. You're going to take them on a journey. You're going to walk with them. 
in the weeks, in the months, and even for some, it might in the years to come, to bring their material life under the submission of your word and that the cheerfulness of their heart is going to be birthed as they walk into submission to you and they're going to see their material destiny realized this side of heaven. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.